Lord Jesus, as we've been reading in John's Gospel, we are reminded of how you came out of light into darkness, into this dark world with the light. But Lord, we know that this world is filled with darkness still because many have turned away from that light. So Lord, we come to you today asking that we ourselves would be the bearers of your light in those dark places, knowing, God, that your will is that all would come to know who you are and to love you. So Lord, today we lift up those around us who need that special touch of grace, who need to know that that you're real and that you're here for them. God, allow us to send uh, that grace out everywhere we go. And we're thankful for the opportunity to do so. Lord, we're thankful for so many things. And we're here to worship you today. We're thankful, Lord, that we have a facility such as this to gather in in a comfortable, safe place to worship you. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, all all those who work so hard to uh, earn everything we have, Lord, in terms of our freedom and in terms of our privileges that that we have here, God. And we ask today, Lord, that your spirit would guide and direct everything that happens through our church as we prepare for, for this fall and all the, the people that will be coming through this place to, to learn and to grow. God, your blessing, Lord, we seek it on everything. We don't want to be just about the business of church. We want to be about the business of your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask today that, that you would be alive in us, alive in everything that we do. Lord, you are worthy, you are holy, and we bring our hearts to you today. God, those things within us that, that are causing us anxiety or fear, God, we lay them at your feet today, knowing, Lord, that we can trust you with all of our concerns and all of our cares. <clears throat> Father, we lift up those around us who are especially struggling with health concerns, Lord, or who have lost someone that they love. Lord, we lift up uh, the family of, of Tom Telganoff, Lord, who passed away last week. We ask that you'd bring comfort to him, Lord. And we also pray for Scott Hardy, Lord, and his family as they mourn the passing of his father. Father, those who are grieving, Lord, are close to your heart. So we ask that you'd surround them with love. And God, if there are any who are struggling with, with issues of, of despair or loneliness, God, we ask that, that you would prompt our own spirits and hearts to reach out to those around us, that we might be your hands and your feet. Lord, most of all, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the sacrifice that was made on the cross. And as our choir just sang, we'll never know how much it truly cost. And God, we we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for those times when we've looked away from that or when we've become bitter about something or that we've Father, chosen the way of darkness and not the way of light. Lord, we, we seek your grace and your mercy upon our own lives today, knowing that your mercy is new every morning. So we come today seeking it. We come today offering our hearts to you. And all of these prayers, Lord, we lift in the name of your Son, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Mike as he's returned from vacation, that your message would be spoken through him boldly and mildly, Lord. Fill him with your Holy Spirit and allow our hearts and minds and ears to be open to hear and to be transformed by your words. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Normally when we begin these moments, when we're in our worship setting, uh, we will open the scriptures and we will read uh, a handful of verses from the scriptures and, and base our time on that. Now today our scriptures are John chapter 1 through John chapter 9 and I thought it over and I thought that would take an awful long time for Pastor Keith to read through all of that and even though it would be useful and growing for us, uh, rather than having one set of scriptures, you're going to see a number on the screens and I'm going to fold them right into uh, what I would call our review uh, this morning. Um, Before I get to that, I want to say two things. First, we had some great news come to us last week. You, you may uh, have heard, as, as we've shared here, that we received a new district superintendent in July named Kiboko Kiboko. And Kiboko's family lives here. I think they're even back here, maybe. Yeah, uh, with us today. But I, I say that to tell you this, that um, uh, on September the 27th, we get to host the installation service uh, for Kiboko Kiboko as our district superintendent. Now, there will be more details coming out on that, but I hope that you'll carve out some time for a wonderful time of worship and fellowship on September 27th in the afternoon here. And secondly, I was talking to uh, Keith and a couple others this morning that, uh, that, that are fighting with the allergies. Are some of you fighting with that? And, and it reminded me of a story a few years ago. I was, had something, a little uh, problem in my throat, and one of my friends who's a pastor said, you know, best thing to do, Mike, is just stick a cough drop in your mouth and just keep preaching until it's gone. And when the cough drop's done, you know you're done with your sermon. I said, that's great. And that, that worked for me for a long time. I tried that, you know, I put a cough drop in there and I just preached until, you know, the cough drop was all the way done. And then one time I, I preached about an hour and a half and Teresa said, why'd you preach so long today? And I said, well, I got about an hour and a half in. I said, why isn't this cough drop, you know, why isn't this cough drop thinning down a little bit? And, and she said, well, what happened? I said, well, it wasn't thinning down because I'd accidentally stuck a button in my mouth and it wasn't, <laughs> you know, ah, <laughs> uh, you know. I had this fantastic um, philosophy professor in seminary and we would have about a hundred in the lecture room and his name was Charles Milgan, and he had the amazing control. Because we'd be in there drinking coffee, talking about the exploits of our days, you know, what we'd be doing in our churches and all that kind of stuff. And Milligan literally would walk to the, to the front and do this. The pencil, and start talking. And I'll tell you, by the second, everybody was quiet. And I remember my first semester in seminary, when Dr. Milligan went up to the front and did his little thing, and it was the next to the last class in the semester, and he says, today we're going to have a day of review. We're going to look back at what we've done this whole semester and help prepare you for where you need to go. And boy, I mean, he just started, and he went through the whole semester, 41 classes, within about, you know, an hour's period of time. And at the end of that, one of my friends raised his hand, and his name is Houston Green, and Houston raised it up, and he said, yes, Mr. Green. He says, well... 
I have to tell you, Dr. Milligan, after you went through all that talk, I have more questions than I have answers. And Dr. Milligan, wise as he was, says, so I've made you think you need to work on this. I've made you think you need to work on this. My purpose is complete, and he walked off and skipped the whole second half of the class. I've made you think that you need to work on this. That's what my goal is this morning. As we come to review the first portion of the Gospel of John that that Keith and I are leading you from January 1. We actually started a little bit before Christmas. And we're leading you all the way through 15 and into part 16 in the Gospel of John. So, So our goal is today to make you think you need to work on this. So, so I hope and I do pray that when you come down to this altar rail later that, that, and on your knees you, when you have bread in your hand and, and, and the taste of the juice in, in your mouth, that, that you'll say, I, I need to think and pray about the work I need to do because I may have a few more questions than I have answers about the Gospel of John. So here we go. Get ready if you need to. We're going to walk right through the first half of John. John writes his gospel or simple purpose to inspire faith. He wants to to prove conclusively that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. That's why John writes the gospel. To inspire your faith, to inspire anyone in any generation that would read it, to have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. And that presentation begins with who Jesus is. So let's look at who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be fully God? Look what it says. First sentence is in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So that's together, right? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that means same as. He is with and same as. Okay, so so the word is present with God because he's the same as, which means he is God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You see, the second person of the Holy Trinity, we're talking about the Son, Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the second person of the Trinity is a central character in the creation of everything that is, was, and is going to be. Okay? So he is fully God, completely God. Make no mistake about who Jesus is from the perspective of John and from the perspective of Christians everywhere. God and Jesus are one. Jesus is fully God. And he's present and active before time is, during that which we know to be time, And after time ceases to exist. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is fully human. That's called the incarnation. In John chapter 1 verse 14 it says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now that's really important Christians as we review this today. Because you understand and Keith and I have told you this a number of times. That Christianity distinguishes itself from all other religions at this point. At this point, where God becomes as one of us. There's a lot of religions, Eastern religions, mystic religions, others, that says you can become a God. But in Christianity, we don't believe that. 
we believe that at the right moment in time, at just the right time, God became one of us and lived in the incarnate person, that is, God in the flesh, with, 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 with flesh and bones, of Jesus Christ. And he is the central person in the human experience. Every part of the human experience is based on who Jesus was and what he did. We measure time by Jesus. Do you know that even non-Christians measure their time by Christ? We say Anna Domino in the year of the Lord, 2015. The rest of the world that doesn't believe in Christ says 2015 in the common era. Well, what's common about the era? Jesus Christ. He's the one commonality that all time has. Jesus Christ is present. He's the central character in the human experience, and he's the central character of, of, of our hope. So let's not miss who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully human. So what is John then about? John is written to show us that Jesus Christ is the summon of God come to reveal God's glory. That, that's the first half of the book of, of John. The, the whole first 12 chapters is about the Son of God coming to reveal God's glory. And he does it through, through three basic methodologies, as that we've seen already. Through signs and speeches. He, he, he talks and he shows. Look what happens in John chapter 2. Do you remember this? We, I, I think Keith might have preached about this, because I remember. It, when, when, when you read John chapter 2, it says, When the wine was gone, Jesus said to his mother, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And, and, and um, what did Jesus do? This is a quiz. What did he do? He made more wine. He made 150 gallons of water in, changed into wine. And it wasn't the, the, and I don't go in the high B wine and spirit section very often, but it wasn't the down at the bottom, 298, Mogan David wine. It was the way down at the end of the wine section where Methodists go, never go. 450 dollars of french names i can't pronounce with the right grapes he made the best wine to show us that he brings the best to life and he did that to reveal god's glory and he did many other signs and wonders so that people might see with their own eyes that god was incarnate in Jesus Christ our Lord. And he said many speeches. The one that we love the most. The one that you learn in Bible school. Check it out. It's on John chapter 3 verse 16 and following. For God's, I, I bet everybody over 20 could repeat this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not have, perish but have eternal life. For God did not send. And this is important Christians. If you watch TV. This next verse is really important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Is the world wrong? Yeah, probably. But is that the point? No. Point saving it. Okay? I mean, obviously, if it's broke, you've got to fix it. Understand it's broke, but don't get consumed with the brokenness. Get consumed with the fixing it. And Jesus says many other speeches to reveal God's glory. So, so Jesus, the Son of God, come to reveal God's glory through signs and speeches. And he also gives people food, earthly and, and heavenly. In John chapter 6, you see... Where, where Jesus is, is, is with the, this is where Keith preached. I remember this because it's a funny line. Then Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What did he start out with? Two and five, right? 
I think Keith coined the, t- the term the Hebrew Lunchable. Is that, is that you said that or Happy Meal or something like that? You know, that you guys were here, right? Was it just funny to me? Because I thought, man, that's just funny. I had minds, you know, of locks and little sardines and stuff lined up. Anyway, but, but what, what Christ does is he understands this, and his church is to understand part of this too, is that he fed human needs because he knew this. It's hard to hear the sweet words of the gospel over the growl of an empty stomach. It is hard to hear the, the sweet news of the gospel over the growl of impending needs that you have that are physical or that are affecting your children. So Christ himself performed many signs regarding food. He fed the hungry there at the side of the sea and many others. And then he does, of course, because he does one to get to the other. Okay? His, his goal, you know, feeding food, earthly food, is a pathway to him feeding heavenly food. So look how he feeds heavenly food. In John 6, a little bit later on, same chapter, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, which, of course, is incidentally the center of our service this morning. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. His point was, his crusade was, and the crusade of his church is, to feed the spiritual needs of people. Because indeed, it's hard to hear the sweet news of the gospel when the growl of your stomach is so loud. And it is hard to live without something that sustains your spirit. I would say it's impossible to live without something that is sustaining your spirit. Because if all you have in this life is yourself, you know that that's not enough, no matter how cool you think you are. You need something to sustain your spirit. So Jesus, Son of God, come to reveal God's glory through signs and speeches, through food, earthly and heavenly, and in conflict with the religious leaders. Now, why is that so important? Look what it says in John chapter 7, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him because religion had gotten out of hand. You know religion can get out of hand, right? Faith generally does not get out of hand. Religion can get out of hand. Because what does Jesus ask us to do consistently in the Gospels? One thing, commit your all to him. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the thing. When Jesus says commit your complete and entire self to to God, understand that that, that that love, that that strength trumps human religious rules. Now, we love religion. We're religious folks. Some of us got up early this morning. Some of us showered and did our hair and put on nice smelling things to be here. Some, some of us ironed a shirt this morning because we forgot to do it last night. But we got up and, and came to a religious gathering, a, faith, a gathering of the faithful. This is religion when you come together inside a box that we call churches and, and meet together. 
and, and fidelity to God is what religion was created for. I mean, human beings got together and said, we have this faith and Christ has given us this love and we need to organize a little bit. We need to get together so that we can have fidelity to the faith, that we can focus on the cross, that we can eat the bread and the juice and so that we can worship God and that we can have our minds and eyes on Christ all the time, but from time to time. And what Jesus says Your religion has gotten out of hand and it's gotten so rule-based that you're not blessing the people anymore. And so when your religion, and I would say that to any of you, when your religion loses its fidelity to God, you have to ascend beyond it. And that's what Jesus is saying. The religion of his day had lost its focus on God and was focused on the rules that were supposed to bring people to God. And they were no longer bringing people to God. They were just containing people and directing people and oppressing people. So he taught people of his generation, passed them to us, to ascend beyond it then. Ascend beyond religion all the way up to faith. And and so the, 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 the arguments that Jesus has with the Pharisees are, are not just to show that he's smarter and that he's God's son, but to show them that the point of all this is to have fidelity to God in all things. Now, I had a friend at Simpson, taught Simpson for 40 years, named Bruce Haddox. And we'd go through all this kind of stuff like this. And then he'd say, but the most important question when you get to know all this is you have to ask yourself, so what? So what? So what am I supposed to do about it? So what am I supposed to do about what I believe and about what I know? So what? So move. Move on his behalf. That's what the so what is. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to move on his behalf. And our movement means that we're to pursue with all of our strength, our faith, and his mission. Now, here's where it comes to us at Marion Methodist. More questions than answers, I hope. I hope every one of you kneel down today with lots of questions about what you ought to be and where you ought to be going and less answers than you have questions. Here's where it goes. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I would circle that word even in a generation where hearts are hard. And I want to talk about that just for a moment because I've talked to you a lot about this. You know, we are living again, I will say, in the post-church, post-Christian world. But I am not post-Christian. I'm a Christian right now. And the reason I encourage you to circle even is to remind yourselves that that's not the way the culture is pointed, but it's very definitely the way our hearts are pointed. We are pointed to Christ, and we, are, we will not lose our fidelity to him, no matter what may befall him. So this mission is important even in a generation when the hearts, when hearts are hard because they are around us all the time. We are in a polarized community. You either are or are not. There's not a lot of time for thoughtful, meaningful discussion if you watch TV or read the internet or any of that kind of stuff. And yet in the church, we are supposed to hear each other and love each other and care for each other and be on this mission to make disciples of all people. And we will not yield to that because I know that is his aim and I know that it's my aim to spend our lives and not waste our lives doing anything else. So I want to give you four things that are traditional within the church. I don't step far from the Gospel of John on sharing these things, but four things that will help us pursue that mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation 
even in a generation when hearts are hard. And the first one is worship, which is more than just showing up. Look at what John chapter 4 says. Now, this is with Jesus at the woman of the well. He says, woman, believe me, there is a time coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is hard to do, and I'll tell you why. Because you people, like me, all have opinions. We have opinions. See, genuine and authentic worship is hard to get to because I get up every morning. We pray right down here in this front row, Keith and I today, because Vicky's off on vacation. But we get in here and we pray. And one of the things that we pray pretty much without yielding every week is that those who would come and assemble at 745, 839, 45, and 11 will come for genuine, authentic worship and they will seek truly and fully to just fall into the presence of God. That is hard to do because we have opinions. See, and I ask you, and this is one of the questions, did did you come this morning when you were ironing that shirt or getting into the car or getting that last sip of coffee before you walked in? Were, Were you seeking to come and fall into the absolute presence of God or were you seeking to be entertained? Did you come seeking to be entertained? Did you, did you come thinking, I'm going to throw everything I have in, into worship, or am I going to look for reasons not to? You know, a lot of people look for reasons not to. I call that Goldilocks worship. You ever been to Goldilocks worship? You know Goldilocks. This is too hot. This is too cold. This is just right. I, I've heard Goldilocks worship all my ministry as a, as a, as a preacher. I, I have folks come in and say, these songs are too loud. These songs are too soft. These songs are just right. This sanctuary is too hot. This sanctuary is too cold. This sanctuary is just right. Pastor Mike, your sermon's too awesome. (laughs) But see, the thing of it is, is I hear that all the time, different things all the time. But what, one of our most favorite things, and I, I won't speak for Keith, but I know it's true for him because we've had conversations around this, is when someone will come up to us after church and say, the Holy Spirit just grabbed me today. The Holy Spirit was so present in our worship. And, you know, we drive for that and we hope for that. And I also know that during that worship service, one of the candles quit burning And my microphone battery ran out. And the acolyte dropped the offering plate. And and it was too hot or too cold in here. I'm like, how could the Holy Spirit work in here? Because the heart was ready for it to work in here. You have to understand that we always preach and listen to the gospel in places way finer than Paul or Peter or Jesus ever spoke in. You might think it's too cold in here. Go to Israel. 
with no lid on the building. Just sit out in an open field, five thousands of you, and listen to the world. There would be no bug control, bee control, any of that. It would be nothing would be perfect except the Holy Spirit. And so are you worshiping? I mean, here's your question on this in this item. Are you worshiping authentically and genuinely for spirit? And in truth, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Even in a generation when hearts are hardened through worship and secondly through Christian community. John chapter 6, at the end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. People began to leave Jesus. You do not want to leave too, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love that answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where would we rather be than right here? Where would we rather be than in a community? And so I ask you as a community, are you a community that, that, that reaches out to hug people? I mean, you know, you may not be the real huggy, you know, pat on the back kind of huggy kind of person. I don't know. But do you really reach to, to hug people that are broken because I'm standing here on uh, an elevated position, so I see the hearts that are here. And there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And, and the church should be the community that reaches out to hug those that come in, that seek to know each other's names, to, to, to know our stories, and to care for each other. So because if we care for each other well here, then we can care for the world out there. And, and that's part of the reason. You know, I've heard people many times say, I just love my church family because they care for me. But that's not the experience of everyone that comes here. And so we need to be better about offering Christian community because it's one of the things that our mission is necessary to our mission to, to, to make it happen. And the gospel sends us that we, we should sends to us that we should hug that is such as it was. We are to bring others into our fold and hold each other tight. And then once we do that, then, then we're a community that can open our arms wide. You know, because the only way that the world will know that church loves them if we open our, our arms wide and, 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 and extend them to people. You know, we have this thing, we have these, hey, you're going to see them probably pretty soon, these advertisements on TV in the Methodist Church saying that we have open hearts, open minds, open doors. Well, no advertisement, no, 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 no agency in New York City can make us that way. That has to be us. We actually have to do the work of those things. And I will tell you this, is that when we extend our arms wide, everybody's not going to feel like us. Everything's not going to sound like us. Everything's not gonna, everyone's not going to look like us. But we're to extend our arms to them and bring them in. Because this I know. We won't all start the same, but we shall all be transformed by Christ, and we should let him do his work. If we don't, we're not fulfilling the mission of the church. So thirdly, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, even in a generation where hearts are hardened through, through authentic worship, through community, and through service. We are to serve people. John chapter 6 says, when, and I love this, this is, this is part of the feeding of the 5,000 we overlook sometimes. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Disciples were already freaking out. And Jesus said, hey, where should we get the bread? He asked this only to test him. For he had in mind already what he was going to do. He was testing his church to see, are you planning to serve these people or get rid of them? Well, what are you going to do? 
Are you going to serve folks or are you going to get rid of them? Inside the church. And, and I want to tell you this because this is really important about the way we live. When you come to worship, when you come to your church, when you're inside the church, are you coming to be served or are you coming to serve? Are you coming to serve another person or are you coming to be waited on? I, I hear that all the time. The church is not filling me. I'm sorry, get out. You came to fill the church. The Holy Spirit should fill you. That was kind of harsh of Pastor Mike, wasn't it? I'm just not getting fed here. Well, pick up a fork and get to the table. Get into the kitchen, do some cooking. That, that's how you get fed, by serving people, by serving those that are, that are around us. When we, when we come to the church and we're saying, just wait on me, you're like, well, I'll never do a good job. You know, there's very few perfect waiters in the world. And neither one of us, well, Keith, you were employee of the week at, or month at Olive Garden, right? May 1995, Olive Garden, Employee of the Month. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. But, but we quit waiting tables a long time ago, right? And our job is to, is to be, you know, is, is to serve others. So, so when we're inside the church and we're serving others and serving each other in here, we'll be ready outside the church to serve others because we are to be for the world, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't just hold it to ourselves. We sang that when we're a little child, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, right? We're supposed to let it out. But we got to do it well here first and foremost. And last, and I'll take you to communion on this. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Even in a generation where hearts are hard. We worship, community, service, and multiplication. I don't want you to miss this. Because actually a lot of churches are fairly good at the first three. I want you to hear this. So I might even start preaching hard here in a minute. But not too long, Jason. Unless it's too late for that. (laughs) The next day, this was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When two disciples heard it, they followed Jesus. Now, John was a big deal. John was the biggest deal going. He's what everybody wanted. He was the one that, that people were coming to listen to. He was the show, and he said, go ahead and go. Because he believed in the principle of multiplication. In John chapter 4, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So here's the question that goes with your answer. Our new people... Our new people, believing in Jesus Christ because of what he has done or worked in your life. Because they should be. Our new people, believing in Jesus Christ because of what he has done or worked in your life. Are you working for multiplication or simply hoping that the church will endure past your last need for it? It's really important to make that decision. Are we trying to grow the church or are we just hoping it will outlast us? That the last one of us funeral, somebody will close the door and click the lights and everything will be okay. Now, I was on a consultation uh, with three of us about 15 years ago up in north central Iowa. Went to a little church and it was dying. 
but they had opportunity. They had $38,000 in the bank. They had whatever their ongoing giving was. And we met with them. We had consultation through a couple days. And finally, we came to them and said, you have really two choices that we see. One is to take that money that you have, sell the church building here, move down the road four miles to another Methodist church, which has some vitality to it, bring yourself and that money as a blessing to them and grow a larger community there and be vibrant and let what you've done here be part of their legacy and growth. Or, the way we look at it, you've got about 20 months of money left and you can just let it peter out and close. They went off into the other room, the ante room, and they had a discussion. They came back and said, well, all things the same. We just as soon take the 20 months and let it die out here. And what a tragedy for the gospel. Because their commitment to Christ, to the church, was not one of multiplication. But they just wanted to sustain long enough for the last one of them to be buried. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know if they really had any good opportunities or not, but I know that we do. Are we working on multiplication or are we just trying to endure? We're, we're to be a multiplying church. Have you worked your multiplication tables? You know, when you were kids, remember, I don't know if they still do it today, but you remember that, you know, you do three, plus, three times three is nine, and so I could always do the football scores, you know, seven times seven is 49. I, any multiple of seven I had perfectly. It took me a while to work on the rest of them and all that kind of stuff. But, but we worked on those so that when we got to class and the teacher said, what's nine times nine? 81. What's nine times eight? 72. And you can, you know, fire them all out like that. We worked on our multiplication tables. And I, I asked you as a church, are you working on your multiplication? tables? Are you professing? Do you see the need to work on these things? Do you, do you, do you have the commitment to say, I, I am committed to the fact that I will not let the church of Jesus Christ diminish and die, even in a generation when hearts are hardened, because the mission of the church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ that transform the world, and we only do that when we're growing. So are, am I committed to that? Am I willing to commit to that? Because I'll tell you this, because I talked to some guys this week that have been uh, trying to evangelize one of their friends at work. Their friends said, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus, but I, I absolutely admire your commitment. Do you have a commitment to Christ that non-believers are admiring? Do you? Do you, do you profess the need? Are you practicing? I, I think it was Keith that, that, that started early on in this sermon series where we talked about practicing your Jesus story. Every single one of us that got up this morning came to worship knows that we have a Jesus story, that somehow Christ has moved in our lives in deep and rich ways. And we have this Jesus story, and are we practicing it so we can tell it so that others might come to know Christ? you got to practice it, like you practice your multiplication time. Some of us know nine times nine better than we know why we love Jesus. I, for a long time, had part of my premarital counseling. I'd say to a kid or a young person coming to be married, so you want to marry her? Yeah, Why? Because I love her. Okay, yeah, cool. Why? He always had some things. Are you ready for that? So you come to church? Yeah, why? Because you love Jesus? Okay, yeah, why? Why? Tell me why. Tell others why. Are you practicing that? Because to multiply, we have to. Because when the moment comes, someone will ask you a question. Please don't be the person that drives away and goes home and said, oh, I had such a great opportunity to multiply the, the kingdom right there. And I said nothing because I wasn't ready. Be ready. 
Be ready to, to, to offer your worship. Be ready to be part of a community. Be willing to offer your service and be willing to, to, to multiply the kingdom because when you're ready for all those things, you're a missionary for Christ. And, and so I, I say that what this is all about today is to get filled here, right now, for the mission. Jesus Christ says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes me will never go thirsty. Let the body and blood of Christ be that for you today. Now, those of you that are here today know that we take communion on the first Sunday of every month, and this is one of those. And so I want to give you brief instruction. And those of you that are guests, you might just want to follow along to someone that's in front of you and and do what they do. We take communion through a very simple way known as intinction. You'll come down to these side aisles. One of these beautiful girls will be holding the bread, the tray of bread, and you simply take a a tray, a a piece of bread. You'll easily identify what the gluten-free wafers are. Take a piece, dip it in the cup that one of the pastors will be holding, receive the element by your own hand, and then come into the center and pray for a little bit if you'd like to at these altar rails and return to your seats through the center aisle if you would. If you're unable to come forward, Keith and I will be along uh, at the end of everyone else being served to to serve you in your seat. And as you can see from all these brightly colored bags, uh, when I institute these elements, these elements will be instituted as well. And they will go to nursing homes, hospitals, uh, shut-ins. Uh, to have communi- uh, communion celebrated with them. Communion is as follows. On the last night of his life, the bread of life, our Lord Jesus, took a loaf of bread. He broke it. He offered it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, for this is my body. Just as you see my, will see my body broken before you, eat this bread in remembrance of that. And after the supper and everyone had taken their fill, Lord Jesus took a cup, raised it to heaven in way less ceremonial way than we're doing today, and said, drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine which represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of you and for many. And as often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. So this morning, friends, come with questions, seeking to be answered. Questions that can be answered by the Lord Jesus Christ and fueled in your life to live out every single day. Don't come just because we're forming a line, but come to receive the body and blood of Christ.